this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. We are at number five already of the Waymaker series. So far in the series, we have looked at the big, the epic, the hard to wrap your head around stories, right? Because they're they're just larger than life. Daniel in the lion's den and Israel and three armies marching against it and the parting of the Red Sea and Jonah and the whale, for goodness sake, right? There's huge. These are, are hard to imagine or relate to our lives stories. They're just so big. And it got me thinking about the common excuse I hear about not presenting your requests to God, right? That, that you don't have big enough requests or big enough problems or, you know, let God help the people out there with cancer or, you know, the homeless or like some, someone else with bigger problems than mine, my little old migraines or my little old sicknesses, my shoulder hurts. That seems dumb compared to the big things that God has or my little finance issues. Can I really pray about a loan coming through to fix my roof? Like that seems so trivial compared to these big things. Can I really pray about a a job promotion or can I make a confession? I sometimes pray that God would help me find my keys. (laughs) Or my phone, although my watch helps me with that now. I have help. Uh, but you know, I'm searching. God, help me, find, help me find myself, please, before it becomes an issue. I was, I have another embarrassing little prayer. I was in the kitchen right before, <laughs> right before I came out here, and I said, God, please let somebody clean the dust off the fans in the kitchen. That's disgusting. I literally prayed that, and I thought it's one of those dumb little prayers. <laughs> Right? So does God help with these little problems? Should he? Why would he? (laughs) I want to read a New Testament story to you today, finally. I've been trying to get to the New Testament for a while in this series. It's it's another story where God would appear to change his mind for his people. When asked for a favor rescue, in a sense, he grants it, even though it's against his own plan. Super interesting. Now, the story is about Jesus, and it's in the very beginning of his ministry. He he had been baptized by this point. He had called a couple of disciples, but not much else yet, okay? It's in the very beginning of his ministry, and I want to read the story to you today. It might be my favorite of Jesus's miracles, although I know I say that a lot. They're all my favorite. John 2, verse 1, is where we're going to read from. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, weddings in this era are not a one-day event. We think weddings, we think one day. You go, you celebrate, you go home. They're usually about a week long in this day and age, okay? So to run out of wine when you thought you were going to be partying it up, celebrating with your family all week, it's a big problem, okay? You couldn't just run to the corner store and get more. Most of these families either made their own or like saved up all year because typical engagements lasted about a year. 
saved up to buy everything they would need for this wedding, okay? Wine was also not just for the purpose of partying and enjoying yourself. It was also their main drink in general, okay? They didn't have, water wasn't typically readily available or clean. They might have had a well outside of town where you would get a bucket at a time, but it wasn't, it didn't come out of the kitchen sink, okay? And wine was their go-to drink. So it's like you have your entire family over for the week during a holiday, Christmas, whatever, and you run out of food early on. It's a problem, right? There's no way to get more. You, you can imagine how embarrassing and shameful that would be. People would assume you can't afford it or you're a terrible planner or host. They'd be annoyed and uncomfortable and sort of stuck there. And because it's a wedding, it would also embarrass your son or daughter on the most important week of their lives. You know what I mean? It's This is a big deal. I need you to feel how, like bad <laughs> this would be in that culture. I, I think even today we would consider it annoying and sort of second, be secondhand embarrassed for the family, right? But back then it was way more so, okay? So Jesus' mother comes to him and says they have no more wine. Dear woman, Jesus said, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. So it's clear here that Jesus knew why his mother was telling him in particular, that they have no more wine, right? He doesn't say, okay, and he says, that's not a problem. My time has not yet come. He knows what she's asking without her asking. Does that make sense? Verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. They go and fill them. When the, when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. First of all, can you imagine how nerve-wracking that job would be? You know it's water. You filled it yourself, and now you're given the job. Like I can imagine all of them being like, no, you do it. You do it. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies, which is like the chief servant, or think kind of like a wedding coordinator, right? The chief servant. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. He's impressed, okay? This miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I love this passage. I love this miracle. I love this Jesus moment. It's one of my favorites, though again, I say that a lot. But one of the reasons I love it is because it, it rubs us as Christians the wrong way. We don't particularly like that God doesn't fit neatly into our little box, right? Jesus provided the wine after everyone was already drunk, that is clear. Makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? I, I occasionally, <laughs> I get bartenders coming to Jesus, right? And they say, do I have to change occupations now? Like, can I serve people wine? Isn't that like against the Bible or something? And I always say, you know what? Read John 2 and ask me that question after. No, I don't think you have to change occupations. Jesus served people after they were already drunk. Make that fit into your theology, not the other way around. Now, that is not to say the Bible approves of drunkenness. I want to be clear about that. 
It resolutely does not. In fact, I, just a quick Google search will bring up 40 verses about drunkenness. I just put four of them on the screen. Proverbs 21 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs actually has a whole lot of verses that sound very much like that. It calls, it's, it's a name-calling subject. <laughs> the Bible calls you names if you're a drunkard. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Romans 13.13, 13, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Galatians 5.21, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> the Old Testament seems to relate drunkenness more to overeating and overindulging. The New Testament seems to relate it more to sexual immorality, which is interesting. Um, but there's so many more verses like this, okay? You have to take the whole Bible in context. We're not saying Jesus was enabling sinful behavior. So what was he doing, right? Free will. He provided it, and on behalf of the hosts whom his mother obviously loved, he didn't make them drink too much of it. If you think about it, isn't all sin taking our blessings too far? Isn't it all taking more than our portion? Right? Pride, lust, greed. It's about taking more than we need. So it makes sense that drunkenness is also sinful, but provide it, Jesus did. And I believe he did it out of love. Love for his mom, mostly. Right? Out of love for a pe people, though. Out of love for celebration and living life, enjoying life, or a couple coming together in God's plan, all of it. I think he was enabling all of that to continue but mostly out of love for his mom. Doesn't that just melt your heart, moms? Jesus <laughs> did that. It's also a commandment, of course, honor your father and mother. And so by honoring his mom and doing what he was asked, he was honoring his heavenly father too. But there's some things we can learn here from this passage that I think we can take with us into how we pray, how we ask God for things. So what did she do right here that we can learn from? And then how did Jesus respond? Number one, here's what I want you to see today. Mary presented her need to Jesus. That simple. She brought him a need. Now, if you were a miracle worker, Say you had a superpower to work miracles. It's your first day on the job. What would your first miracle be? Feeding the 5,000. Walking on water is pretty epic. Leading a national revival. Paying off the national debt with one snap. Universal health care. World peace. Like, we have these big... Our God chose his first miracle to be turning water into wine at a wedding. <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. He was presented with a need, and he met that need. To take this a step further, why do you think Jesus went to that wedding? To have fun? To show his glory? To celebrate with the people that he loved? Right? It's fun to think about why he would have even been there in the first place, especially knowing that he, 
He just started his ministry era, right? He lived 30 years on this planet just being a son, a friend, a brother. He had just begun his ministry era, right? He had had disciples literally tagging along to this wedding, and weddings were like a week long in this culture, and he chooses to go to this wedding, You have to imagine, from the disciples' perspective, this had to be a little confusing. Like, some of them thought Jesus was going to be a military leader, like a revolutionary. He was going to help them kick out the Romans and make all these political moves. And anticlimactically, they find themselves at a wedding. Like, I'm sure they're watching him closely. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? We're expecting something, anything, right? What's happening here? They got a miracle, but it was reluctant. He did his first miracle out of reluctance because his mom asked him to. He did his last miracle, the resurrection, out of reluctance because his father asked him to. It's a little off subject today, but that thought in itself is profound. It's not what we would think what we would expect out of God, right? That he was clinging to the human experience, not the godly one. Our God left his godliness to come down and experience humanity, right? His first miracle provided life abundantly for a wedding. His last miracle provided life abundantly for all eternity, Weddings and wine have a special significance in the word, actually. It's one of those themes that once you see it, you can't stop seeing it. We are the bridegroom of Christ. He's making new wine. New wine can't go into old wineskins. Death brings new life for grapes and for us. Right? It's all over the place. The metaphors never stop. I'll let you mull over those and take those home to snack on later. But at its most simple, Jesus responded to a need. When his mother asked, he responded. When his mother needed a way where there was no way, Jesus was the way maker. That's who he is. And it's also fun to think about how she knew that he could. Right? It's not something you just assume. You don't just, hey, can you, do you happen to be able to turn water into wine? I, that's not. <laughs> how did she know? She had seen this before. He had done it in private, I'm assuming. She says, dear woman, not my time, right? It's not just, this is not the first, I don't think. But she presented her need to Jesus. And not, by the way, not in the way the disciples did. This is important because at the beginning of this series, I asked a group of people, what do you want to know about prayer? What do you want from this series? What are you hoping to learn? And one of the answers was, um, how do I pray? Like, teach us how to pray. The disciples, later on, when they didn't have food to feed 5,000 people, they came to Jesus with an attitude of, here's why we can't do it. Now, Jesus surprised them, feeding 5,000 people. But she came to him with an attitude of, I know you can do it. It's a different way of approaching Jesus. A big difference in the way we approach Jesus, really. They came to him, here's all the reasons we can't do it. She said, I know you can. I know you can. I know this situation 
can't change. So if you could just do this instead, this is how we tend to, we like, God, I know you, we hold ourselves like, I just, could you just, could you do me this favor? I know I, I need surgery. So if you could just give the doctors wisdom. I know you, you, I know I have to move. So if you could just make it go smoothly. I know I have to. Oftentimes Jesus says, do you know that you have to? Because I can change even that. I can heal you from not having to have surgery. I can provide miraculously so you don't have to move, whatever it is. Now, does he always? Not necessarily. But to come to him with an I know you can mentality. Right? This is the even if he doesn't faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went to the fiery furnace saying, I know God can get us out of this. But even if he doesn't, we're going to obey him. I know you can do it. I trust you with it. Instead of that, you know, I just the understanding that there are parameters that God can't go beyond. That's us putting God in a box again. We're always putting him in this little box where we understand him. Do you really want a God that you understand completely? We act like we do, though. We want to understand every piece of him. There can be no mystery in him. We want to make everything make sense. Part of faith is understanding that he can do it, but you trust him with the will he do it. If it's the right thing for me, I trust you with it. I know you can provide for me, but I trust you with it. I know you can, but I trust you. That was Mary's attitude here, and it was Jesus' attitude in the garden as well, looking at the crucifixion. God, please take this cup from me, but ultimately your will be done. Here's my need, my desire. I know you can do it, but I trust you with it. At the beginning of the series, I asked what do you want to know from the series? This is one of those answers. This is how we pray. This is how we approach God. Here's my need. No matter how small, wine at a wedding, in the grand scope of every, even of this series of the stories that we've mentioned, it seems like a small thing. But Jesus responded. We present our needs to him and we put all our hope in him. That was the second thing that she did right here. She put all of her hope in him, entirely into his hands. Do whatever he tells you. And you can almost imagine her walking away from it. Right? She's not mentioned again. So I assume she said, Jesus, they have no more wine. He said, that's not my problem. And she said, do whatever he tells you. I'm... She walks away. <laughs> true, that, that's true submission. That is true obedience. We present our needs to him, but ultimately we submit to whatever he decides. If he didn't do it, I'm sure she would have been disappointed, but ultimately I think she walked away and she didn't look back. Later she probably smiled and winked at him from across the room when she realized there was indeed more wine. Thanked him on the way home, right? She trusted him no matter what he decided. I don't think we do this very often. We don't present our need to God and then walk away from it. And I don't mean in a lazy way, because sometimes sometimes we say we give it to God, but God says, why are you still sitting around? I told you to move. Not saying don't continue to be obedient in it, but this 
this thing in particular wasn't within Mary's power. Right? In, in fact, this was more like an intercessory prayer than something she needed herself. She was praying this for someone else. She was asking it on behalf of other people. It wouldn't have reflected badly on Mary if there was no more wine, right? She was kind of praying it for someone else. This wasn't in her power or control at all, but she presented the need to Jesus. She trusted him with it. She didn't beg. She didn't plead. She wasn't worrying about it. She just let him do what he does best. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Lean not on your own understanding. That's the key to this part of what Mary did here. She knew there was a need. She took it to the right person. Then she trusted his understanding of what should happen. And she did it so humbly. It wasn't like she marched out in front of everyone and explained the situation and manipulated him into it. I hear that as an argument sometimes for this passage. Like, wasn't wasn't she being manipulative by telling the servants to do whatever he... I don't think she was. She could have told everybody, watch what my son does and put him in front. You know what I mean? That would be manipulation. She did this privately because he was able to say, this isn't my time yet, right? This was obviously privately. You almost picture it being like outside the tents in a back room, something like that. Because the master of ceremonies didn't even know what happened. The bridegroom didn't know what happened. They didn't do this out in public. The servants knew. The disciples who were hanging around Jesus anyway, they knew, Mary knew, of course, but in the moment, no one else. She did this humbly, quietly, not in a manipulative way, and then she submitted to his solution. And out of that, he responded with love. This is another one of those questions answered. You wanted to know how God sees us when we come to pray to him. This is how. I think he smiles at our requests sometimes. In the same way that I look at my kids when they ask something outside of my plan on a good day. On a good day. Oh, that wasn't my plan, but yeah, we can totally do that. I will find a way, right? He responds with love. He moved very quickly from not our problem, my time has not yet come, to fill the jars with water. Let's do this, right? Jesus changed his mind. And to me, this proves that God can change his mind on our behalf. He can change his plan on our behalf. Isn't that miraculous? It also tells me that there are multiple, like lots of ways to do it right like to be within God's will. There are lots of unselfish choices. Just don't pick the selfish one, and you'll be all right. It makes me wonder what Jesus had planned for this miracle, too. You ever think about that? Anyone know what his second miracle was? I can't believe you don't know this. I'm just kidding. I don't know either. Do you know why? Because it's not real clear. There is not a specific second miracle listed in the Gospels. I looked through all of them. It's very vague. Like Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. That's not specific. Right? John 2.23 says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. 
We don't know what the specific second miracle was. I wonder. He did cast out a demon, right? That's definitely mentioned. Maybe it was that as well in another gospel. He also headed over to Simon's house. He healed his mother-in-law. Jesus has such a heart for the mother's heart. Isn't that beautiful? He sees women. I know a lot of times we feel unseen and unworthy and unheard and uncared about. Jesus sees you. You see that clearly throughout the Gospels. He, he knows what you care about is important. He sees the way you take care of people when no one else is watching, when you do it with the right heart and mindset. He saw Mary in this moment, right? But we don't know what the second miracle was. But I would love to know what his plan for that first one was. It's one of those like behind the scenes interview moments I would love to have. Like, you know, those, who's like a commentary watcher on movies? Do you watch like the, the behind the scenes, the whole thing where the director or the actors talk, the whole, I never make it through those. But there's some people that are like super into those. I would love to hear Jesus's like commentary on this miracle. Like what he actually wanted to be his first miracle and how the story would have been told if it weren't for this wedding and his mother's humble request. What would it have been? What was the plan? God responds with such love for us. That's what we learned from this miracle. right? He, he makes a way for the big things, but he also makes a way in the little things. When it's for us, it doesn't seem like little things, though, does it? It wasn't a little thing to that wedding family. I'm sure they found out what happened later and, and were grateful to him. We, we don't know whether they followed his ministry after, whether they wrote him a thank you card after. No idea. It might seem little to us now reading it 2,000 years later and in the grand scope of Scripture and the Word and everything that happens, but I don't, I know it wasn't little to that family. God answers little prayers. He responds. When we present him with a need, he responds. I've only lost, lost, lost the key once. When I pray that prayer, he helps me find it every time. Okay, one time. But I, it came back to me like five years later, by the way. God responds. The way maker makes a way for little things too. That's what I want you to see out of this passage. When we present him with our needs, we put all of our hope in him, completely, totally submitted to whatever he has planned. He makes a way. And what I have found is more often than not, instead of changing my circumstances, he changes my perspective. Makes me grateful for the things I couldn't even see before. Or he shows me an even bigger need, someone else's bigger need that I can meet. And then I'm so blown away, so used by God, right? Like I read earlier, Proverbs 11 says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. God uses us even in those times where we feel so needy, so hopeless. The way maker makes a way for the little things too. We have to present our needs and requests to him. We have to humble ourselves knowing that he is still God and he can do whatever he wants and whatever he knows is best. 
And we have to know that whatever he decides, he's gonna do out of love for us. His last miracle, he turned himself into wine, essentially. He died like a seed in the ground and resurrected himself as, as the savior for the world, for all eternity, the one that we can call on and receive life from. He responded out of love, even though it was humanly impossible. He marched himself to that cross. He put himself on that cross for us. He responds with love every time. Because whether we get our way or not in our requests, that's he's going to respond with love. That's who he is, and I can trust him with that. He is the way maker. Amen? Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you for choosing even those little moments to be a part of, to meet us in. Thank you for responding when we ask you for things. God, help us be a people that bring our requests to you, that keep prayer journals and lists and and ask you for things. Let us enter the throne room of grace with boldness, knowing that you are our Father and you give us good gifts. You give good gifts to your children. God, help us trust you with that wholeheartedly. Be that vibrant, passionate, selfless people you've called us to be. And God, let us have a heart like Mary had. We would truly care about other people, that we would take on the needs of others. We would be the people stopping friends in the grocery store and laying our hands on and praying over them boldly or or being the person people run to and say, look, I, I don't... I don't necessarily believe, but I know you do. Would you pray for me? God, help us be people of faith, of ultimate hope in you and nothing else. Let us present you our needs. In Jesus' name, heads bowed and eyes closed today. There are three ways to respond to this message. Maybe today you're saying, you know what, I, I realize now I've been holding back on prayers because I, I didn't think they were big enough. I didn't think God would care about my little old problems. Today I see I, I need to present him with those. I'm going to ask him for those today. I'm going to present my needs to God today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand just as a response to this message? Thank you. Maybe secondly, you're saying, I, I haven't given that full control over to Jesus. I might ask him for things, but then I take back the reins and I try, to, I try to do it my way instead of trusting him with it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I need to give control to God. Awesome. Third, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never approached him with anything, much less a need. Maybe... You've tried to do life your way for a really long time. Today, you just want to give over that control. And pray, Jesus, be my Savior. Let me be a disciple of yours. Let me follow you. Let me learn what it means to follow you. Forgive my sins. 
help me do it. Help me follow you with everything I have. If that's you, and we usually call it, I'm in around here. I'm into following Jesus, living this life for him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand today? I'm in. Maybe for the first time, the first time in a long time. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. I'd love to help you with that. Anybody else here today? I'm in following Jesus, the way maker. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that it's so useful. Teach us to correct us, to guide us. Thank you for writing these things down so that we still can treasure them 2,000 years later. Thank you for being the way maker, for caring about even the little things. God, be with us in the little things. And every little moment as we go from here, as we're driving home today, be in our little conversations, our everyday moments. Be with us as we get up for work in the morning, get the kids off to school and eat together and go to bed. Be with us in the little moments. Thank you, Jesus, for caring about those too. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Figure out which way we're going, right or left. Amen. Will you give her some love? That was just a wonderful again. Just, it just reminded me of Romans 8. Apostle Paul, when he wrote that, said, God is for you. If God is for you, who could be against you? So when he's the way maker and you have requests and you know that he's for you, it's much easier to trust because he's for you. He's for you. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for the word today. We thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you care about our every need. You see us. Jesus, you said you know the hairs, the number of hairs on our heads. You see every sparrow. You see it all. And you are for us. You care for us. Let us lean back and trust in you in everything, knowing that you are working all things together for our good. We thank you for your power in us this week to live for you and be your church, your witness, your ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.